Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to tell you the story, or at least part of the story, about how the Belzer Rebbe escaped from the Nazis. And if you if you want to read the book, it's 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 called Rescuing the the Rebbe of Bells. Art Scroll puts it out, and um, it's just you see just this series of miracles that happened. So this one latest miracle that that I just read about was um, after the Rebbe had gotten from Poland to Budapest, which was that journey itself is filled with miracles. He decides that um, he's going to go to Israel, and a whole international chevra um, was helping him to get the papers that he needed to go from Budapest to to Israel. And he had people helping him from Switzerland and from London, and the chief rabbi of Israel in inside Israel in America, even in Istanbul. There was a whole international network trying trying to help him get out and get his papers in order and everything like that. And again, this is at the height of World War II. And now he's in Hungary. Now Hungary was, there was relative normalcy in Hungary, considering the fact that it was at the height of World War II. Hungary was Nazi friendly. And the Nazis were about to move in big time into Hungary. But deep into the war, somehow Hungary had managed to be this, something of a safe haven for Jews. So, so that's why the Belzer Rebbe fled from Poland to Hungary. But in fleeing from Poland to Hungary, he had all sorts of people helping him, and, and three of those people went, were caught by, by the Nazis and were put into this maximum security prison in Hungary. And so when the, when the Belzer Rebbe finally got his papers, which was like a big like accomplishment, like that in itself was a miracle. How are you going to get your papers in order? He got his papers in order. He announces to his circle, I'm not leaving Hungary. And they're like, what? He said, no, I'm not leaving Hungary until the three people who are in maximum security prison, who are there because they helped me, are released because it's not fair. They helped me and I'm leaving while they're still in prison. Now you have to understand, he has zero leverage in terms of getting three people out of a maximum security. They're there because they helped him. He's going to somehow appeal for their release. I mean, that's it's, that's a that's a very profound contradiction. So, so no, th- there was no influence to be exerted from his end. There was someone named. Um, uh, Mayor Heinrich, who is a Jew who had connections in, 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 in Hungary. But did he have that level of connections? I mean, you have to understand, there was a very delicate dance going on because Hungary, while still somewhat independent from the Nazis, was very Nazi-friendly. And they also knew that if they did anything that... That, that the Nazis would swoop down and basically that their independence was very short-lived and they already had to be making steps not to get on the wrong side because they understood the inevitability of the Nazis controlling the country. So, so, so if these were prisoners who were put in there by the Nazis in a Hungarian prison, the, even the Hungarians aren't going to have much um, sweat. But they thought, our only hope is maybe this one Jew, mayor, because maybe he knows some people. I don't know. 
But it was a long shot. It was a complete long shot. And as it turns out, he didn't know anybody. He did not know anybody. Who could know? So the Rebbe sends someone to speak to him, and he's shocked. He doesn't have any connection to the Belzer Rebbe or to Belzer Hasidim or anything like this. And someone shows up at his place and says, the Belzer Rebbe would like to see you. And he's sort of like, he's heard because the Belzer Rebbe was known as the Wonder Rabbi. And he's heard about the Wonder Rabbi, and the Wonder Rabbi wants to see me, and he doesn't know what it's about. So he goes, okay, so I'll go. So he goes and he gets to where the Belzer Rebbe is, and the Belzer Rebbe comes out of his room and sees him and says, they say, this is, this is Mayor Heinrich. And he goes, Azoi, you know, is that, is that the case? That's your mayor? He goes, he says, I am appointing you to be my emissary to free these three Jews from this high security prison. Blessings and success. And he left the room and closed the door. <laughs> And you can imagine, like, this man who's, like, minding his own business, just living his life, is now put in the middle for him, potentially, now a life-threatening situation where now he has to orchestrate the release of these people, and he's a Jew, which makes him extremely vulnerable in this this time, dealing with the Nazis and the the government and, and, and with something they clearly don't want to do. It says his head was absolutely spinning. And the Rebbe comes, charges him with his mission, gives him a bracha, and then leaves the room. Like the whole episode happens and it sounds like 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So it says he left the place in in a complete daze. As As you can imagine, if you were him at that moment, you would also be, your head would be spinning. So now you might not know this, but Budapest, this is for real, is actually two cities, Buda and Pest, or Pest, right? And there's the Danube River is in between them. And there's five bridges connecting Buda and Pest. And so he's like, in a daze, he's like wandering out of the Rebbe's place, and he walks along one of the bridges. He's just, you know, head spinning, and he bumps into someone. And it's like a big guy with like medals on his chest and he's like very afraid that now he's all of a sudden about to get into more trouble, into a fight with this person. And the person turns to him and says, Mayor, don't you recognize me? He says, and you know, Mayor is in it again, just like isn't thinking straight. He says, we grew up together. Don't you remember we used to cut class together? And then he looks at him and he, you know, he, he remembers and he says, I just got released from the front. So he was fighting, I guess, in some high capacity at the, at the, at the front of the war, has been sent back to hung- Hungary. And he says, they, they've released me and they've just put me in charge of the maximum security prison here. <laughs> it's a true story. It's a true story. And can, can you imagine? He's... He, from, from the Rebbe straight to this person who's just been released from his duties at the front. How do you, 
How do you explain it? You can't explain it. This is the hand of God, you see. So he says, I'm having a party tonight. He says, come. So, so he, of course, is going to come. So he goes to the party, and it says that there was a lot of drinking at the party, and this man didn't really drink much, but, you know, to stay in the spirit and to, you know, maybe to be able to appeal to him in, in the best way, he's also drinking a little bit. And then now he's not feeling well because he drank a little, you know, more than he, normal. And the, the person says to him, he says, listen, he goes, you know, you don't look so great. Stay the night. You know, and then we'll, we'll talk about old times in the morning. So in the morning, he wakes up and now it's like, you know, he's got like a private audience with this person. And he, he appeals to him and he says, he says, Please, you know, you, there are these three Jews in the prison. And he goes, it's out of the question. What are you talking about? He says, I can't do that. I've just been put in charge. And these are people who were put in here by the Nazis. And I'm on the Hungarian. It, it just, it doesn't work. And he starts begging him. And he says, please, 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 please. And they come up with a plan where they take he says it will be impossible just to remove them. But they come up with a plan where they take three people from a, a local insane asylum and exchange identities with the three people who were in the prison. And that way they were able to spring to get them out. And now the Belzarebi heard that and he was like, okay, good. You know, now I can go to Israel. <laughs> I mean, there are more steps. The, the, the story is still ongoing. But anyway, that's, that's the latest thing. So if, you don't, if you're not attached to a tzaddik, it's a good idea to be attached to a tzaddik. There's tzaddikim in the world. And as you can see, there's a whole different level of um, what we call hashkacha pratis, of divine providence and divine guidance that comes when you're able to attach yourself to a tzaddik. And there are tzaddikim in the world. There's not just one. There, there are different tzaddikim in the world. But, you know, it's, 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 it's good to be attached to a tzaddik. Um, well, there are, there are famous tzaddikim. There are famous tzaddikim. And it's good to pick a famous tzaddik. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. Because... There are people who are, they also have these, this category of secret sadikim. <laughs> and that, that's more of a roll of the dice. <laughs> it's, it's, it's better really to, to attach yourself to, to a famous tzaddik. And what, what defines the fact that he's famous, he'll, you'll know that he's famous because it will be sort of a household name. And there will be a dynasty and things like that. And what, what's, what's, what's very great about attaching yourself to a famous tzaddik um, is that their father inevitably was a famous tzaddik, and their father was inevitably a famous tzaddik, and probably their father was inevitably a famous tzaddik. And so you have something which is very meaningful in terms of sort of the metaphysics of all of this, which is what's called schusavos, which is the, the um, there's a, a cumulative... Um, uh, merit that comes down through the generations and, 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 it, and it helps the living the person who's the, alive at the end of the chain 
So even if that person isn't as great, still he has this unbelievable sort of elevation that's coming from his line. And, and that's very meaningful. That's very meaningful. In fact, if you look, if you want to see where is this, is this just sort of like, like Rashi is already talking about this. Um, at the very beginning, we're, we're about to get to that Parsha, where it says Rivka, Rivka is davening, Rivka and Yitzchak are both davening for a baby. And it says that Hashem answered the prayer of Yitzchak because Yitzchak was a tzaddik who is the son of it, who is the child of a tzaddik. So there already you have this laid out, and that's you know. So in other words, this is this is already ancient. This 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 system that we're talking about. Um, so, so anyway, let's go. Let's go further. So I want to. That that was just sort of an introduction. I want to. Um, since we're talking about Sadiqim, right now we're still in the the parshias of of Avraham Avinu, uh, which is which is amazing. And I saw something from the Ma'or Vashemesh that, that, that I want to work with and that I think is, is very beautiful and it's sort of like, um, it, it, it applies to all of us and it's, I think, very practical advice of how to get through life, okay? And it sort of gets into a bit of psychology. We're going to go there in a bit. But um, let's just start. So the Parsha begins. It says, Hashem appeared to him. This is after, remember, Avraham has just now had his bris. He's just circumcised himself, actually, at the age of 99. All right? Which in itself is, is, is a very amazing thing. And you should understand something about, just, just let's say a couple of quick words about the, the greatness of, of what a bris is. Right? Um, so, you see... A bris has wider implications than just the, the specific skin flap that's being removed. Okay? So, let me explain it this way. Avraham, uh, or rather, Adam Harishon, the first person was born without this extra piece of skin on him. Adam Harishon was born complete. But after he left the Garden of Eden, it says that this extra piece of skin grew on him. So you see a very direct correlation between this concept of exile. What happened when um, Adam and Chava left the Garden of Eden? What happened was there was a... um, Basically, they went from creatures of light to to what we would call, in a much more relatable level today, human beings. They were still human beings. But they were on a different, it was a different order of magnitude. Now they were very much encased in physicality. Right? And the, the Yetzirah, which the, the negative inclination, which was outside of them, then actually became inside of them. And, and everything went from sort of black and white, which is an absolute understanding of, uh, of truth, to good and bad. Because remember, the Eitz Adas, when they ate from the Eitz Adas, the Eitz Adas is called Eitz Adas Tov Vara, the tree of knowledge of good and bad. Now again, it went from black and white, their understanding, to good and bad. Why is that so significant? Because 
good and bad is, is actually a, a relativistic term. What's good for me might not be good for you. And what's bad for you might not be bad for me. So all of a sudden, everything becomes very subjective. So we go from an objective understanding of reality to a very highly subjective view of reality. And so now everything gets mixed together and becomes very, very confusing. Now an aspect of that is this orla growing on an Adam Harishon, meaning to say that the clarity in which we were able to see the world becomes seriously compromised. And there becomes an extra layer, not just of skin on our human body, but there becomes an extra level of materiality in the world itself, which obscures the presence of God. See, this is, this is very, very important to understand. So in other words, you have to understand the global, the global value and the global um, stakes, so to speak, in terms of having a bris. It's not just an anatomical sort of touch-up on a man. What it, what it is, is it's stripping away the level of materiality in the world. Right? And again, just so you're following, when Adam was first created, he didn't have it. When he leaves the Garden of Eden, he does have it, which is reflective of the fact that everything becomes very subject, subjective, confusing, and God's presence becomes obscured. Okay? All these things go together. So you have to understand that the greatness of Avraham, remember, who is Avraham? Avraham is the one who's restoring the understanding of the oneness of God to the entire world. In order to understand the oneness of God, you have to break down the levels of material materiality in the world, which is obscuring the presence of God and making it seem like there's multiple powers in the world. So it's not just a little thing like, okay, Avraham has a bris. No, there, there's much more macro, so on a macro level, it's much greater. He's now breaking down the barriers to understanding the oneness of God and the clarity of seeing God. Okay. So, so, and by the way, every time there's a bris in the world, there's a little more material materiality in the world that's broken down. To this day. To this day. Which is why, if you think about it, the bris is on the eighth day. Because eight correlates with that aspect which is beyond nature. Because what you're doing is you're breaking down the natural order with a bris. And you're opening yourself up to this level of eight, which is the transcendent level which is essentially God, which is just showing you that there's more to this world than it just meets the eye, right? So, so it says Abraham Avinu has just circumcised himself. Big, big moment, big moment. And his, his level of understanding of godliness shoots up at this moment. It's a big turning point in terms of his spiritual journey, what he's able to comprehend now. It says, Hashem appeared to him, very um, important that it doesn't say Avraham. The text doesn't mention Avraham's name here, um, although it's, it can only be Avraham. Hashem, we'll talk about that later, hopefully. Hashem appeared to him, 
in the plains of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day. So there's a lot, a lot of Torah on this, a lot, a lot of Torah. But getting to what the Ma'or V'Shemesh was saying is, what is this idea, all the commentators want to understand, what is this idea that he's sitting at the entrance of his tent? Okay? And then, again, a little bit later, it mentions the entrance of his tent again. Okay? But that's, uh, but that's coming still. So, so, so just, I, I, I can read on. Anyway, let's, let's, let's go back to it. So what does it, what does it mean that he was sitting at the entrance of his tent? So the mayor of Hashemesh says something very, very beautiful. The entrance of, of, of your tent means an understanding that you're just beginning. Right? Because the entrance of your tent, so to speak, is like the starting line. And here he had, Avram Avinu had achieved a level of greatness. But his perception of himself was that he was still at the beginning. He was still at the entrance. And this is, this is a very, very powerful teaching and a, and, and a great gift, actually. If you understand, if you can mine what this teaching is actually saying. Or at least on one level. You see, the attitude that we have to have for ourselves and something that is like extremely healthy, if you want to talk about healthy spirituality, integrated spirituality, is to think of ourselves as we're constantly just at the beginning of the process. There's so many benefits that come from thinking of yourself in this way. And by the way, we'll get more into it in a moment, but it's in the, it's in the uh, next, it's in the next verse, actually. He lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, three men were standing over him. He perceived, so he ran toward them from the entrance of the tent. <laughs> right? There's the second mention. And bowed toward the ground. See, the idea is like this. Before a person starts off on, say, a spiritual path, they, they know nothing, right? And then, and then they learn some Torah. You learn some Torah. And then, so now, now you think you know something. So now we have the second mention of the entrance of the tent. Now that you think you know something, you have to go back to the entrance of the tent and realize you don't know anything <laughs> And, and, and that's what it is. That's, that is the journey through life. Now, I'll, t- I'll tell you. I, I had a, an experience, Erev Shabbos, where I was talking with uh, someone about some business, and, and I, I got kind of uh, annoyed and a little impatient, you know. And then something happened that I wish on none of you, <laughs> which is, They thought I had hung up, and now they reacted to the call that had just taken place. And I, I didn't listen for long. I didn't, I did. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to myself. I wouldn't subject myself to that. But all I heard was one of the guys go like this after the hung up. 
and then I either either it would click on their end or I just hit click on my end, you know. <laughs> and I felt bad, you know, as anyone would feel bad, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, did I really, did I just handle that call horribly? Did I, you know, hurt this business relationship? Like, uh, what are, you know, it's going over what I said. Anyway. And then I thought to myself, well, wait a second, you know, then I wanted to defend myself, you know. I was like, wait a second, you know something, I'm bringing them business, you know, they should. And then I thought to myself, well, but then I thought, you know, they could go <laughs> from their side. Do you call that business that you're bringing us? You know? So, you know, so, um, you know, and then, <laughs> so I thought, well, yeah, I guess they could probably say that. And then I kind of started thinking more sort of widely about it, you know. I thought to myself, you know, this is kind of a dangerous thing because it is business, but I could see how they could deride it, you know, I, I could see that. And then I thought, you know what, you really can deride anything. If you want to deride anything, you can deride anything. And right now, I'm, I'm not talking politics right now, believe me. But what Donald Trump accomplished, I'm just talking about on a level of accomplishment, what he accomplished is beyond extraordinary. It's beyond extraordinary. You have to understand that he is the only president in the history of the United States who's never held public office or been in the military. It's never happened. It's never happened. And yet, you could also go like this, oh, you got elected president? Yeah, but you didn't win the popular vote. You can dismiss it in a second. Do, do you understand? If you can dismiss that in a second, there is nothing in the world that you, any accomplishment that anyone could bring you that if you so choose, you can't dismiss. Yeah. So, so uh, Reagan was governor of uh, California. Yeah. So, which is the biggest state in the country. So that was a big position. Um, so, so again, so, so then that brings you to the next step, which is when you accomplish something, when you accomplish something, right? If you're looking outside yourself for the validation of the accomplishment, you are now in very dangerous waters because absolutely everything can be dismissed by everyone. You must be able to validate it yourself. You must be able to validate it yourself. And I believe the greatest way to be able to validate your own accomplishment, right? And by the way, that's, that goes for whether it worked out or whether it didn't go, work out. You know, you have to be able to say, I tried my hardest. And if you can say, I tried my hardest, if it worked out or if it didn't work out, work out, then that is the definition of success. That's it. And you can tell yourself that. But you have to understand something. It's not so simple. In order to be able to say that to yourself, that I tried my hardest and to believe it, you actually have to work hard. So now it's going to sound like a bit of a paradox, or, or yeah, but, but 
I'm being very, very clear, and actually what I'm about to say is in Perke Avos, which is hard work is actually the key to serenity. You see, people think, no, I have to relax even more. <laughs> That's how I'll be serene. I have to do even less work. That will be the key to my serenity. It's not the case, because you can insulate yourself from the outside and from outside opinion if you can validate your own hard work and actually believe it then you are now no longer dependent on other people's pat on the back it's always nice to get one by the way but you are no longer dependent on that to be able to authentically validate yourself Now, one of the keys to do that is to be sitting your whole life by the entrance of the tent. By saying to yourself, you know something? I'm just beginning. I'm just beginning. Because here's, here's, the, here's the other side of it, if you don't do it. You see, if you are a nobody, and then you become a somebody then it's very easy to be knocked down and become a nobody again. <laughs> but if your whole life you're just a nobody, <laughs> a holy nobody, talking about being a holy nobody, if you're a holy nobody, then no one can knock you down. Now, what Avraham Avinu, and, and by, by the way, all of the Rebbes are talking about this. They're all putting it in different they're all putting it in different language. But they're all talking about this concept. I mean, I, I, I'll put it in these words, but I, I, I don't want you to just to hear the, these words and go, oh, that's what he's been talking about, and then dismiss everything that I've said up until now. But this is the greatness of not running after covet, not running after honor. Because when you run after honor, and then you become, quote-unquote, a somebody, you've essentially handed the keys over to other people who now have the ability to turn you from a somebody back into a nobody. I, I, once, I once heard... Uh, um, oh, his name is slipping my mind. Um, oh, uh, Rabbi Re'edi. Um, a wonderful, fantastic rabbi. You should try to look up his talks online. He's got fabulous, fabulous talks. Better than mine. He, he, he talked about at a talk that um, someone going into a... He said, imagine you had like a device, like a little thing on your keychain that controlled all of your emotions, right? You would guard... I mean, you would guard that pretty carefully, right? You wouldn't want that device put into the wrong hands, right? So he said, and yet, how many of us walk into the dry cleaners, and the dry cleaners, like, messed up the order, and you, this person you've never seen before, this person has nothing to do with your life, and you hand them this device to control your emotions. <laughs> Why would you do that? Why would you hand this device over to a total stranger that has nothing to do with your life and allow someone to control your emotions? 
So, so this is what we're talking about. But this, what I'm talking about, is not easily won. A person has to be able to work very, very hard so that they can then honor their own opinion when that opinion says, you tried your hardest, you did your best. Okay, it worked out, it didn't work out, it's still success because you did the most you can do. So again, hard work leads to serenity. Something that might seem counterintuitive, but it's not. It's a big secret. It's a big secret. Because then you're no longer dependent on the validation of outside sources. And that's a great liberation. It's a tremendous, that's a breakthrough, that's a breakthrough, that's a breakthrough path for a person. Um, so, it seems to me like, like, I, I really feel like, um, A teaching like this is kind of like a, it's like, if you know what a gyroscope is, a gyroscope, you can turn it any angle and it remains up because it's self-correcting. It, it's amazing in that way. And so, so you have, there's, it's like all of us are like a, 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 a ship at sea and there's a storm going on. There's a storm going inside your head and there's a storm going on outside of you, on the waters. So how are you supposed to navigate effectively in life? How, how, how can you possibly not get thrown off course? And the answer is, if you have like this holy gyroscope, where you can set a path for yourself and keep on going, regardless of, you know, whether things turn your way today or next week or whatever it is, and you continue to make progress, then these are the people who really accomplish things in life, you know? The people who are able to stay on course. But to do that, you have to be a bit of a psychologist with yourself. You have to understand how to address your various, your various swings, you know? Um, so... So again, the, 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 the greatness of being a holy nobody. So one of my favorite stories, uh, in, in Kutsk, Kutsk was famous for everyone's just pursuing the truth, right? So, so um, they didn't flatter each other. Like they weren't into that at all. It was just like, you know, like none of that, you know? So it's just get to the point. And um, people like in the Jewish world, Kutsk was like a very like bit of a far out place. Like they didn't know what's going on in Kutsk. So, so this one rabbi went to go and to investigate the, the community. And he was a Talmud Chacham. And, you know, he was like a little bit thrown. He notices like even though he was like a, a, a scholar seemingly deserving of some level of honor, no one's giving him any honor, right? And he notices that there's only two people in all of Kutsk that the Hasidim stand for. One is the Rebbe, 
And the other is this person who is so poor that he couldn't even afford a yarmulke. He would have a, a leaf on his head for a yarmulke. Right? Can you imagine this, this level of poverty? And he didn't know any Torah. And so this rabbi who had come to investigate the community, right, like to find out what's going on here, he, he sees like, they're not standing for me. Okay, I can understand they're standing for the Rebbe. But they're standing for this guy? So they wanted to know. So he asked, he said, why do you stand for him? And here's the end of the story, and I love this so much. They said, because he's nothing, and he's not arrogant about it. <laughs> he's actually reached this level of nothingness, and he's not arrogant about it. <laughs> so someone like that we can stand for. <laughs> See, you know, there's a famous joke, I'm sure you all know it, but just in case there's one of you who doesn't, People tell it different ways, but basically you, you have a, a very rich shul, synagogue, temple, whatever it is, and, and the, the rabbi is there with the cantor, and you know, the rabbi is saying, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, and the, the cantor is saying, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, and one of the workers in the shul overhears him and he says, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, and the rabbi turns to the cantor and says, look who thinks he's nothing? <laughs> You see, once you prize this, once you prize this attribute of being a holy nobody, or what we call technically in Torah speak bittel, once you once you prize this thing, you can actually become arrogant about the 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 the, the possession of this quality. You know, the, the Katska Rebbe said, I, I, saw it, I, I hope I'm quoting it exactly, he said that before someone um, forms their reverent face, they have to actually have their own face. Right? It's... Um, So it's a different way of seeing the world. But again, if you're just trying to be real, then, um, then you can do it. I realized something recently, which is that, you know, you can say something in one situation, and you can say something, the exact same thing in another situation, and in the first time you say it, it's, it's said with humility. And the second time you say it, it's a complete expression of arrogance. <laughs> That's the whole path of Kutsk, by the way. Thinking before you speak and asking, why am I about to say the thing I'm about to say? Why am I about to do the thing I'm about to do? And if a person actually lives like that, they can really begin to they can really begin to scale heights. There's, there's a teaching, we said it last week, but I've been thinking about it a lot, and I, I want to say it again because it's, 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 it's uh, powerful for me, which is 
this this idea of lech lecha, because, and I'm basing this, um, I'm sort of adding to it, but I'm basing this on, on something that I heard from Rabbi Freeman. Lech, lech lecha is, you know, it's spelled exactly the same way. Lech and lecha, two separate words. And it means to go forward, right? That's the great command that Hashem gives to Avraham. And as Reb Leibla Eger says, that he gave it to every Jew for all time, which is basically never stop moving. Keep going, keep going, just keep going. But lech lecha is like fascinating because it's, they're opposites. Lech means to go, meaning to walk, to make forward physical progress. Lecha means into yourself. So they're actually, each word is pointing in the opposite direction. Lech to go forward, lecha to go deep within yourself. And the idea is that just like you see it, it's so beautifully, just visually, you see it so beautifully in terms of the symmetry of the letters themselves. Lech lecha, they're perfectly symmetrical that there has to be a harmony and a balance between the extent to which you go within yourself and these, the, the, the extent of inner knowledge that you're able to mine and how then you're obligated to reflect that in your forward progress in life. You understand? So as you go deeper within, you go further along in life or you reflect it in terms of your outer activities. And so that your inside and your outside should be in harmony. See, the people who are the broken people of this world are the people whose insides and their outsides are not in harmony with each other. You know, I know, I'll tell you, as a Balchuva, the, the, the hardest part of all was the transition to observance. It was so hard because my inside was out, totally on fire and yet the ability to do certain of the mitzvot was so hard and it was killing me that I couldn't do the various things that I so desperately wanted to do. It's killing me. But once I was able to kind of like break through those barriers, ah, then you experience a sense of peace. Because your inside and your outside are lining up. And then I, I'll, I'll say it the other way. Not just that as you mine deeper into yourself, the lecha part should be represented in the lech part, your, your forward progress in life. But as you go further on the outside, that should be an accurate reflection of who you are on the inside. In other words, and God forbid, I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody, I'm not picking on anybody, but... But sometimes, especially with um, religious Jewry, it's, it's possible, it's possible to have outside trappings of religiosity that aren't necessarily a reflection of where you're holding on the inside. And, and so as you have the, as you make the lech, in other words, as you go forward in life and you seem to be exhibiting greater manifestations of holiness, that absolutely has to be in keeping who you are on the inside. That, that harmony has to be in lockstep as well. So, so, 
So that's key. That's 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 also key. Uh, all right. Why don't we stop here? And just one more thought to go back to the beginning of the Parsha. When it says that um, Hashem uh, visited him and doesn't mention Avraham Avinu. So we see it all come together really at that opening, that Avraham Avinu had achieved this level of being at the entrance to the tent. So so Avraham had escaped this, this prison of just being inside his own head. He wasn't even Avraham at this moment anymore. Uh, he just had become nothing in the, in the holiest, sweetest, purest way. Now for some questions and answers. A reverent face means, you know, you have your I'm so holy face, right? So before you craft your I'm so holy face, you should basically have your real face down first. <laughs> See, because otherwise, you, what you're doing is you're balancing your persona on a very, very shaky foundation. person has to allow themselves to be who they actually are. And then use that as a starting point for growth. But if you're using your starting point from growth as something that's not the real, real you, then that, then that becomes dangerous down the line because you can get into a house of cards situation. Yes. And it makes me, I actually am dealing with it right now of like putting on a resume or like for a college or something like things you did or volunteer work. And really that's so personal and that's like something you give yourself as like this is my life and this is what I did for myself. It's not for others to check and say, wow, right. great job, I'm going right. to elevate you from this. Because right. then they right. can actually <laughs> destroy it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard because, you know, yeah, I, I hear, but you know, but you have to though, but you have to, you know, you have to put it down because you, you, now it's in a professional, now, now it's in a professional guise, you know, like I'll tell you, I'll tell you something, which is, I, I heard it from Rabbi Pesach Kron, and he said that he would go to shiva houses, right, we should only have simcha, but, but he would go to shiva houses and he would see that the children are learning about their parents from all these people who are visiting and that they didn't know that their, their, their father or their mother had done these tremendous things. And Rabbi Kron said something really interesting. He says, you know, it's, 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 it's actually a shame that the kids didn't know the holy things that the parents were doing because that's actually part of the child's education, basically. And so there is very much and Rip Shlomo was very, very strong on this, and I know my parents were very, very strong about this, about basically, if you're doing chesed, if you're doing acts of kindness and things like that, not advertising it, right? And, and basically, the more you can keep it secret, the, the, the better it is, right? However, there is another category, which is that if, if you can educate people that this is a possibility to do these things, 
then you can share these things with your students or with your children or with your friends, your friends being your students at that particular moment in time, so that they're aware that these type of actions are possible. So it's, it's more from the standpoint of education, not self-glorification. And, and that you, you have to, even if you experience that as a Eureka, as a little bit of a spiritual diminishment, you actually owe it to them to do it because otherwise you're, the danger is actually being arrogant in a different way because it's sort of like, oh no, I don't want to reduce my, the, the pleasure of my holiness. You know what I mean? Like you have to be able to allow yourself to diminish it. It's very tricky. It's like, it's very, very tricky. It says like the Yetzer like waits at the door. And like, again, one situation that can be total humility one moment can be flipped into arrogance the next moment. And this is the greatness of the path of Kutsk, because Kutsk is actually putting you in touch all the time with what is my motive in this moment? And to analyze it and to be fairly ruthless so that you can keep yourself on a course-corrected way. Question, but it's not uh, very yeah. clear in my mind. It keeps okay. popping up into my head. Yeah. Um, I think it's connected to what we've been talking about, but like, I'm not seeing the full connections. The the mask uh, of Moshe, the mask of Moshe, uh, Moshe war. Yeah. Uh, after after he descended, you know. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's like there's some connection here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's intense. It's a great it's a great connection. It's a great connection. So those of you just to to fill in everybody. So after Moshe Rabbeinu got the Torah at Mount Sinai, it said his face was basically shooting out light. I mean, it was really pretty amazing. And that after he came down from Har Sinai, he basically put a, a covering over his face. And there's different explanations. The explanation that I heard is that he didn't want to make the other people feel bad that they didn't have this going on with them. So that it was really an act of modesty. You know? That, 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 that's what I heard, you know? So, uh, anyway... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. But well, what about concealment, truth? Like, I feel like something about masks that are, well, you're concealing, you're hiding something. Right. You know, and it's like, right. you talk about, you know, right. show, finding your true face, kind of, and getting comfortable right. for, I don't know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, moon is in a lot of different ways, I guess. Yeah, you know, but, so... Uh, so, so this is what we're saying, that something can be one thing at one moment and another thing at another moment. So a lot of times masks, you know, are to deceive, but here was a covering which was meant to comfort. Just a different, different level. Something else. Yeah. Right. So I told you, I think I said last week, actually, the famous teaching from Rabbi Meir Kahane, which was, they say that the reason why God gave the Torah Mount Sinai is because Mount Sinai was the smallest of the mountains, so it was the most humble of the mountains. So they ask, if that's the case, then why didn't God give the Torah in a valley? What's lower than a valley? He says, because it's one thing to be humble, and it's another thing to allow yourself to be stepped on. Right? So... It's always very, very important. I try to say it all the time, especially when we talk about this idea of bittal, of nothingness, and everything like that. 
that that's that that that's very different from self-esteem. In other words, self-esteem has to be there at all times. Self-esteem is the engine that allows you to function in a in a in a in a in a, in a meaningful way. So bittel and nothingness and humility have nothing to do with lack of self-esteem. And and a person has to understand that, that if they're whittling away at their self-esteem, that that's just the Yetzirah basically disguising itself as this agent of truth and holiness, which it's, 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 it's actually functioning in a destructive capacity at that point. You know? See, the thing is, is that you have to allow yourself to be something before you're nothing. You, you have to be something before you're nothing. Right? Because if you just go straight for nothing, then your, your, your ship has hit the ground at that point. Right? So, and I'll tell you something. Listen to this. The original Rebbe says, a person, he's talking about greatness, achieving greatness, right? And he says that a person has to um, convince themselves that they're absolutely great, that they're truly, truly great. And then once they are absolutely certain of their greatness, they will be able to perceive true greatness and then become nothing. But, but then you've got your proper reference points for what you can actually accomplish and what's, what people who are really functioning on the highest level are accomplishing. And then all of a sudden your coordinates are in place and are aligned. But it begins with making yourself into something. Right? But you can't just make yourself, convince yourself that you're great and then, then take a nap. <laughs> like sort of like this. that's one step in a process. Do you understand? Yeah, but a necessary step. Yeah. I wanted to share something about um, something nothing. I heard someone I don't know who it is talk about um, humility versus self-esteem and say, yeah. um, Moshe is who we know to be the most humble of all men. But when he's when we read about um, him in the Torah, especially yeah. in the beginning, we see him act as the most assertive. <clears throat> person, and the person was explaining that humility is focusing outward rather than inward. Hmm. So it would never be like, I'm so bad, I'm so lacking, because that would be focused inward. It, rather, it's what is needed around me and how can I respond to that. So drawing the attention outside of ourselves would be making ourselves nothing, but we're serving. Yeah, 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 it's very good. Thank you. Yeah, so long. Have a good week. Sure to. Yeah.